Hey everybody, welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast. And today I'm joined by Stefan from Isovalent and he's a solutions or I'm sorry, a senior solutions architect over there. And if you're not familiar with Isovalent, the founders are the creators of Cilium. Is is that right? Did, did I get that right? It's right. Yeah, both the CEO and the t- the CTO were like highly involved into it. That's awesome. Yeah. And then um they're they're doing something. I think they they're maintainers of eBPF, right? Themselves, I I don't know how involved they are in eBPF. The CTO Thomas for sure, that I'm not sure. But we do have like many many maintainers uh, working for us as an engineer. Like most of them are part of the company. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think this is this is arguably going to be one of my favorite discussions. All of my discussions are fa- my favorites. But this one uh, really hits the nail on the head for me. And the reason why I say that is because it's like any time that I talk about networking and Kubernetes, it kind of just ends up blowing up in one way or another, whether I'm talking about it on the socials, whether I'm writing a blog about it, a video, uh, speaking about it at a conference, like whatever. It's always something that it seems like it's like at the top of everybody's mind. Right. And I think that it, kind of makes sense right because without proper networking you couldn't do 70 percent of the things that you can do in a kubernetes cluster or just in general tech that's true (laughs) um totally understand that i I think there's a lot of hot topic around kubernetes like kubernetes himself is a hot topic and there's many many things to discuss um it's just that networking like it's just hard you know like networking itself, like just understanding how network works, it's very hard. So when you associate both topics and you have both networking and Kubernetes, then it starts a fire. And and that's why there are so many questions. Yeah, no, totally. And I think, you know, the, the biggest piece from a Kubernetes perspective and just like what I'm seeing in general, just in the space is the the fact that everybody wants more abstraction. But regardless of how much abstraction you throw at it, right? Like, let's say, you know, we're we're getting to a point now where you have services like GKE Autopilot, you have EKS Fargate, where it's like serverless Kubernetes, right? Where you're not even worried about worker nodes anymore. With these services, you're not worried about the control plane. Now you're not worried about the worker nodes. No etcd, no API server, no data plane, no control plane. It, it's there, but you don't have anything to do with it. However, even with that level of abstraction, you still need a proper amount of networking. You still need to understand how ports work. You still need to understand that that container has a port and it must be exposed for the service to communicate with it and therefore for people to communicate with it or other applications to communicate with it. You have to understand that there's the cluster networking and then there's the pod networking. So like there and just the overall general communication between pods, between services and then you get into things like service mesh, and then we're talking about encrypting the traffic. So regardless of how much abstraction there is, you're always going to have that those low-level components that you have to think about. Yeah, so one thing about Kubernetes is the, the person, that the, the, the people that are going to interact with it. And I think that's where all of this is coming from, is that usually like before... If you have like a classic VM environment, most of the time, it's also linked to some category of companies that have like a platform engineer taking care of that. 
And the developers, they they never interact with the platform, you know, when you are in this situation, like old school, I would say, way to interact with the hardware. Um, but it's not the case anymore. Now, when you're using Kubernetes, more and more, we have this new profile, like DevOps people and developers start interacting with Kubernetes now. Uh, they can interact with it sometimes through CI CD pipelines like Argo CD or directly with it. I've seen developers connecting to the GK console to interact with their application. But that's why the, the discussion is tough. Because if you ask platform engineer, yes, they do need to understand all of that. And I agree with you at some point because something is going to happen. And that's the second part of what I want to explain. But also, if you talk to a developer, he shouldn't need to have to know about that. And that's why we are building this kind of abstraction. You know where I'm going to? Like, we are trying to build abstraction because some person now that are interacting with the Kubernetes cluster will love and need more abstraction. But some other personas will say, no, I, I, I do need to understand what's happening. And, and that's the second part. I think the way Kubernetes works, this declarative model, very specific to Kubernetes, made us forget about the need to understand what is happening. Because we it's not it's not imperative. We are not saying this is step one, step two, step three. So I know all the steps. I know what's happening because the environment is doing what I've been asking to do. In Kubernetes, it's different. I'm just like, here's my app. Please scale it, expose my app, and that's it. And at some point, for whatever reason, because you don't know what's happening, you just have no day working. Like it's tough, it's breaking. And now you need to understand what's happening. And that's where I join your point. Now you need to have networking knowledge and 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 and, and you stop talking to networking people. Right. Because <laughs> it's you know, it's funny. I was talking about this the other day, and I think that oftentimes folks forget why we have abstraction in the first place. You know, so my background, you know, being in tech for X amount of years, I went from systems administration to virtualization to software development and, and writing software. Like I've seen all of it, right? From the infrastructure side to the software side. And going back to the days of bare metal and, you know, well, we're still there. We're still in the days of bare metal and virtualization. But when that was my focus point, the reason why we started to automate and started to abstract things was because we did it 50,000 gajillion million billion times manually and we were like, we don't need to do this manually anymore. Now, things are coming out of the gate abstracted and automated. And to your point, people no longer understand what's happening underneath the hood, which in my opinion is not a good thing because when, when stuff goes wrong, who do you call at that point? You know, and, and, and even go, again, going back to your point of, the, the platform engineers and the DevOps engineers to insert more buzzwordy titles here, those are the folks that are going to understand the infrastructure, deploying the AKS cluster, the EKS cluster, deploying things on-prem, whatever. And let's say at some point that gets completely abstracted away, right? You know, you look at, because arguably, if you look at uh, the certified Kubernetes administrator, it's one of the most important certs. And the reason why is because the level of depth you need to pass it is it's everything and anything underneath the hood. So let's say we 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 live in a, a fairy tale world and all of that goes away at some point, and it's just abstraction now. You know, it's 
you don't even know that you're interacting with Kubernetes. All you know is you're interacting with some scheduler and some API, and it's doing something with your containers. What happens when, for example, somebody writes the YAML code or the whatever code, whatever client they're using, and they have their service and they point it to port 81 instead of port 80, where the container's listening. If they don't know the networking piece, if they don't know the under, uh, underlying components to get everything communicating, it's still not going to work. So regardless of the abstraction, it's kind of like you still need to know something about what's happening underneath the hood. And even, you know, I, I think about this with serverless. Like, I feel like when serverless first started to come out, everybody was like, yeah, I'm just going to write my code and I'm going to pop it in this thing and it's going to do its thing. And we're going to magically have our applications up. And like, that wasn't the case. And it's still not the case. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very, very far from that. Um, I worked years uh, at Google Cloud before joining Isovalent. And the first product launched by on GCP was App Engine. And the idea of App Engine was exactly just what you, you just explained, like take the code and read it somehow and it's going to work. And, and I've seen many, 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 many companies starting on App Engine and moving out or starting on App Engine and then using other products to do other things. So even when we used to use big names that are using App Engine, they are not like 100% using it. And, and other abstraction layer of the product, like that managed platform, um, do the same, like this Lambda, for example. You, yes, you have company using Lambdas, but not a hundred percent. Like it, you don't do everything like that. And, and, and that's why, like the issue with abstraction is that you're trying to build an API that answer most of the needs. And that's important. This most of the needs at some point large customer that are at the edge and that are pushing the boundaries of what you can do and the scale and what we know, they are going, going to eat something. So it really depends who you're talking with and, and what we are talking about. Can you build an abstraction layer for a backend services that is just going to register a new customer and you only have 50 customers per month? Yeah, potentially you can do that. But if you're the new Uber or Netflix or Amazon and you want to go that direction, at some point you're going to hit some limits. And that's the reason of building Cilium, for example. It was thinking about the networking limitation we were seeing on Kubernetes and we we're trying to find a solution to solve the limitation that some customers were starting to see and notice. Right. And, you know, as you were talking about that and just the edge stuff in general, Got me thinking about two different things. So number one, we actually had a guest on a few episodes ago. Uh, he's a defense contractor or he works for a defense contractor. And one of the things that they're doing is a lot of stuff at the edge there. They have uh, whatever they are, servers, nooks, maybe Raspberry Pi. I don't know. Sitting at the edge running Kubernetes for certain things that they have to manage at the edge that, you know, can't. Um, how can I put it? Can't be connected directly to the Internet. Right. Have to be only connected at certain times, et cetera. So that's like an edge case, literally and figuratively. But even to do that, you still need to understand the underlying components of what's happening. And not to mention, and you know, I'm I'm still myself trying to figure this out, like if it's more buzzwordish and more marketing specific and stuff right now. But and, and I'm sure you've seen it on the socials and stuff. There are a lot of articles and a lot of people talking about moving off of the cloud and going back on prem because the cloud isn't giving us 
the cost and resource optimization that it promised. And I don't know if you've seen that. And again, like, I don't know if it's super buzzwordy and stuff right now, but like, I've seen it a lot and I keep seeing it. So if that happens, how do we then think about abstraction? How do, like, at that point, we have to turn back on our, our sysadmin brains and we have to think about networking. We have to think about storage, infrastructure, virtualization. So it's almost like it's coming full circle in a sense if that does end up happening. Yeah, that, that's an interesting topic. Um, and, and I don't have a full overview of what's happening in the world. But what I know for sure is the way people are interacting with cloud providers has evolved the last few years. At the beginning, it was just, please, can you host my application? You know, that's it. That's the job of a cloud provider. If you have to define it, I will host your your, your stuff and it will work. And then people were like, yeah, but you know, there is multiple cloud providers. So why would I choose this one over that one? I mean, yes. So maybe we can host your application better, faster. Yeah, kind of, but I don't need better, faster. So what can you offer me? So abstraction layers was what Google Cloud tried to do first. Like we will be different, like let Amazon play with EC2 and give VMs. We think customers should have abstraction. So let's build that. But that was good in theory, but you know how it works. Most of the um, large company were not ready for that. So they had to keep up. But what I'm trying to say is that then customers were asking more and more and they shift the way they were looking at cloud provider. Like now it's not only hosting, it's features. It's part of my roadmap. I'm going to build my application thinking about what, how can I use my cloud provider to get more out of it? Or you have machine learning, or you have database that can scale in multiple regions, or you have tools like that. I can use that inside my application. And it became like, I'm asking you to be part of my application. I'm asking so much out of you. And that's why like, people were not realizing that if you do that, you're shifting the contract. You're shifting the power. Now you need me as I need you. There's a new relationship between us. And the cloud provider, they, they changed the way they were talking to customer. Now it's not, I'm going to ask your application is, I'm going to help you and your application getting better. I'm not doing hosting. I'm building partnership. We are going to work together. I'm going to transform your app, transform your business. And that's why they do that. They, 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 they are transforming. So I think part of the issue is that is continue to look at cloud provider, that they are an hosting platform. They are not an hosting platform. They are way, way more than that. So yes, it, it can be just cheaper and cheaper. And you and if you're comparing that to power metal solution that you host yourself, sure, it can't be cheaper because it's not what they do, not anymore. That's a good point, man. I I, I never thought about it like that. Now I'm now I'm kind of pondering this, right? And and you're absolutely a thousand percent correct. Like I never really thought about it like that, but it it does make sense. You know, people went to the cloud because they needed stuff to be hosted. Cloud providers changed and differed and, and changed services and moved around. And now the original intent that people wanted to move to the cloud for, it, it doesn't exist as much. So now they're like, ah, why don't I try to move over here, or do this or that? And I think that's where um, the, the hybrid piece comes into play, right? Google Anthos, Azure Stack, HCI. EKS anywhere. There's like now all these hybrid models. And I also think that there is the middle ground of abstraction there too, where you know what you're, it's like, you know what you're running, but 
it's implemented for you. So like, for example, right, let's, let's throw Cilium into the mix. Uh, I think it was pretty recent where, uh, you can now run Cilium on AKS. I think that was pretty recent. So that's something where it's like, okay, I want to take uh, advantage of, I, um, uh, EBPF. I want to get rid of IP tables, right? I want to get rid of Q proxy. I want to use Cilium. Uh, maybe I even want to use Cilium because I'm not ready for a service mesh, but I want to implement WireGuard, get some encryption going, etc. That's a level of detail that you have to think about. But at the same time, it's also abstracted from you because it's being implemented with the managed service. So then I feel like we kind of move into this, this paradigm of like, it's kind of abstracted, but it's kind of not because you still have to know it and understand it to implement it versus deploying AKS. And it's like, who knows what CNI they're using? <laughs> Let's just deploy it. Yeah. So they, I, I think when you choose a technology right now, when you're working with cloud providers or not, you are always asking multiple questions. Um, the first question will be, what do I need? What is my technological needs? And that's the first reason of being of Cilium. It was you have some customer, as you mentioned, who will go to Cilium because they want to use eBPF, replace IP tables. So we're talking about scalability issue. Like IP tables can't cope with the high number of changing rules on a networking uh, the networking stack of your Kubernetes cluster, for sure. Um, but also uh, FQDN policy, L7 networking policy. So in terms of security, you want to have that feature. So that's that's the feature set. But that's only one point. People now... They don't take decision only of, you know, does it fit my needs? And and th this is where I agree with you. The second question is always, what's the cost of changing my mind? Always. And because of this hybrid model, because now I can have a partnership with Google Cloud, but maybe next year I will go to AWS. Maybe next year, because like you, they are reading article everywhere. Maybe they think that they will have to go back to on-premise. So if I go through a fully managed services without knowing what's under the hood, what will happen the day I have to go out and move out? And and I I got I had this discussion many many times where talking about GKE and Kubernetes and EKS or AKS also it's people think that using an OSS product or something that is fork or use or based on an OSS product make it like it's easy to move. It's not that simple because it's not only Kubernetes. Kubernetes is just, you know, an API. It's everything around that, like um, ingress or storage and now networking. So if you're using a, a, a completely a CNI that is only maintained by your cloud provider that does stuff that once again, beginning of our discussion, you don't even understand what's happening. If one day you want to move out of that, will you have the same performance? Who knows? Maybe maybe the maybe the CNI of AKS has better performance than the CNI use on AWS. No one knows. Right. And then there's also the piece, you know, just, just thinking about that overall is like, well, there's two pieces, right? Kubernetes is Kubernetes. The core code doesn't change. However, when it's deployed with a cloud provider, there's certain functionality that differs. For example, you deploy AKS right out of the gate, there are CSIs available, Azure file shares, Azure storage accounts. When you do the same thing in AWS, of course, Azure file shares and Azure storage accounts aren't going to exist. EB, EBS is going to be there instead right out of the box with a CSI. 
So there's those those uh, alternate approaches based on where you're deploying, and it's not as easy of a lift and shift. Same thing with, for example, like you said, to your point, if you're deploying a specific CNI, well, if you're using Cilium network policies, you got to think about that when you're moving. If you're if you're thinking, okay, I'm going to move to this cloud. Oh, does it support Cilium? Well, if not, how much YAML am I rewriting? How many things am I rewriting? Now it's 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 interesting because the whole idea behind containers and just having uh, the the open container initiative, the OCI standard in general, is to be able to take a container image, run it anywhere you want. That's kind of not the case. Yeah, yeah the- you, you can run the container image anywhere. Cool, but like. It can do its job. <laughs> but you know, if we if we go back from our discussion earlier and cloud provider and the way they have to evolve, then it's a very simple question as a customer. If all Kubernetes clusters are the same, how do I choose one of them? <laughs> so at some point, if you're a cloud provider, you have to make a decision. You're like, do I want to stay true to the Kubernetes API and make no change and add nothing? And just say to my customer, yeah, we have a very, very, very good Kubernetes cluster. Like it does all the same thing to all the others, exactly the same you have on-premise. And so why? So at the beginning, they thought that having the external other product will bring people to Kubernetes. So the idea was to think about, yes, I have the same Kubernetes, but... Maybe I have a better AIM. Maybe I have a better database that is more, you know, easy to connect with my Kubernetes cluster. So that will make the difference. But then you just need one of them. You just need one of the cloud provider who goes to the customer and say, you know what? Yes, it's Kubernetes. But, and I will take GCP as an example, just because that's the one I know. But they will say, but we have no auto provisioning. Have you ever heard about not auto provisioning? And the customer is like, no, what is that? Well, it's a new Kubernetes API that we've added that is not open source, that is included with GKE, and it's very useful because we can create new node pools based, it's part of the cluster auto-scaling, but it's creating new node pools with different sizes. So, you know, better cost management. And now customer are like, oh, so not all the Kubernetes are the same. And now back to what you just said, yes, but, you know, if one day you want to move to another cloud provider or on-prem, and you don't have this feature anymore. So that, that's why I think Cilium is making more sense for the customer and why they were very happy when they've seen this blog post talking about AKS, EKS, and GKE using Cilium because they knew at that point that, okay, now at least I know that I can use the same CNI everywhere. At least this I know I can trust and it will act the same. Right. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And and plus, you know, with that, it's supported by the three biggest clouds. Not to mention, you know, you can, of course, run it on-prem if you have a hybrid workload or whatever. So let, let me ask you this. And I, I, I don't think that I really even know the answer myself, but I'm always curious on, you know, how other people feel about this. So like throughout this podcast, we've really been talking about the the problems kind of that we're seeing from an abstraction perspective, the problems when you're running in certain clouds, et cetera. What's the solution? Is there a solution? Is it to have a hybrid model? Is it to choose the uh, 
most popular service mesh and most popular implementation method and hope that it lasts you five years before you got to migrate it? What's like, what is it? Like, what's the answer? And again, I don't, I don't think I have it fully in my head. So, so they, yeah, I agree with you. There's, there's no perfect answer not that I know of, but what I've been working on for years now, when I was working with customers is to look at the way you interact with cloud provider, the same way you interact with external API inside your, your source code. So now most of the application, they have third parties inside the source code. And what do they do? They keep reference of it. They have somewhere a file where they say, we have flux coming in and out of our application and we have a list of those flux. And if one of, change, one of them change at some point, we can act on it. People should look at the way they interact with the cloud provider exactly the same way. So what they need to do is every time, every time you make a decision regarding your hosting environment, you need to keep reference somewhere and it needs to be part of your life cycle to look at it and say, okay, here are all the parts we now have a dependence with. Is it okay? Is it the right amount for us? Are we, people use the word locked, are we locked too much or not? You need to score that. You need to keep track of all of this interaction with your cloud providers, keep them somewhere in a place and Iteratively, you just go back and you're like, okay, how locked am I? How locked am I? How? And, and that's why there is no answer because some people, for some people, like maybe 10 interaction is too much, you know? But for some other customer, maybe 1,000 is nothing and it's okay for them. So it will really differ. Like locking isn't, you know, locking isn't a bad thing if you know it. That, that's it. You just need to know. Yeah. I, <laughs> I always, I kind of chuckle a little bit when I see like the vendor lock-in discussions and the this platform lock-in, because here's the reality, regardless of where you're running, you're locked in, you know, like when people are like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to run in the cloud. I want to run on-prem. Well, then you're locked into VMware <laughs> or, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of discussion around like open telemetry right now. Well, open telemetry is great because, you know, you have one central location where it's, you know, ingesting Prometheus stuff and logging and this and that. And then your, you know, your, your platform talks to open telemetry. Great. But then you're locked into open telemetry. <laughs> so, so you're always locked into something like there's there. It's never open a hundred percent. Like it's, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Or you're rewriting everything from the base. Like you have your own hardware building your own OS. That's why you just know about it and have like a weight on it and what it, and know what is acceptable for you. And also you have to have a reason for that. That that's also something I miss sometimes when I talk to customers is like there is a reason for everything. And 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 at some point when you have to make a choice between like do I do I need to go to Kubernetes? I don't know. You should know. If you don't know, don't and think before. And once you know, then go. So same thing for the cloud provider. Should I use this API? I don't know. Do I want to? Of course, I'm selling you this API. So I can give you reason to do so. But let's have a discussion and let, let's figure out if you really need that. And at some point, if you do, then yes. So you have to accept that you're going to use an external API. And yeah, you're locked, but 
you have what you need, basically. So it's a good thing. Yeah, it's the uh, it's always the discussion of you know should I build a homegrown solution? Should I go use an enterprise solution? And I, I feel like nowadays we see less homegrown solutions being built unless you're working for a specific software company that's building a solution to sell. But you know, like there there aren't a lot of engineering teams right now. You know, maybe they're working in healthcare or they're working for like I don't know, just like some company that like isn't building a specific piece of software a lot of the times you're not going to see them building homegrown solutions to solve problems. They want the enterprise support, you know, regardless if it's good or not, they want that, you know, safety net type of thing, or, you know, at least management and leadership teams do. And then, and you're right. And the more critical it is, the more they will look for this. And and that's what we provide at Isovalen for Cilium. We have a Cilium enterprise version and we offer support to customer and yes, I've never met a customer that has been his own CNI, for example. I mean, you could if you want, but no one does that. So yeah, and then when, as you mentioned, when you know that this is going to go to production and it's a critical part of my application, I always say to customer, like, if you have no networking, like, nothing is going to work. So it's if there is one critical part to your cluster, at least, yes, access to your cluster, and then it's networking. So if it, if it's critical, then you need support, and then you need the enterprise version, and people that can, once again, that has the knowledge and can like help you when something happens. Right. Yeah. Ha- having that enterprise support is uh, definitely a good safety net there. Cool, man. So uh, as we're wrapping up here, because we're about to hit the thirty minute mark, I'd like to give you an opportunity to plug away. I don't. I don't know if you have any uh, like a blog or or if you want people to follow you on social media videos, books, whatever you want to plug, please feel free to do so. Thank you. Um, yeah, you can follow me on, on Twitter for sure. I'm not the most active uh, folks that is, but yes, feel free. Um, I also write on Substack. I have a Substack called Cube Story, where I tried to post, um, had some issue in the past, so didn't for a long time, but I'm going in again. Um, so Cube Story, everything about Kubernetes, but not on a theoretical point of view is just experience. Um, I think that's what we need more. In Kubernetes, there is a lot of good knowledge out there, but it's really one-on-one or 200 level. And there is a very easy reason for that. It's just most of the time you need experience. Like you're never going to encounter like a scalability issue if you open a book. This only happens in real life. And that's what I'm trying to like put in writing in, in Kubestory. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And to all the listeners, thank you so much. And we'll see you again next time.